This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good today. I'm doing good because we got a good team to talk about today. Uh, we are back on those season previews going around the league and today we are in Oklahoma City talking about a team that has uh, been through a pretty radical transformation this summer Um, and we have Ben Mertens from Welcome to Loud City on to tell us about it. How are you doing today Ben? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you guys about Mike Muscala today. (laughs) One of the few (laughs) carryovers. There you go. And usually we want to start with recapping last year a little bit but there's not much of the same roster. So what do you feel like you can carry over from last year's 49 and 33 team into next season? Uh, we have the same head coach and we still have Steven Adams. And other than that, we sold or traded rather pretty much everything that wasn't tied down. Uh, once Paul George said he wanted out um, to go team up with Kawhi and the Clippers, that was pretty much the end of like an entire era of Thunder basketball that led to Russell Westbrook getting traded as well. Between those two trades, the Thunder wound up with a ton of draft picks. They shipped out Jeremy Grant, their uh, starting small or power forward as well, which was kind of an underrated move. They got a pick back in that as well. So they're saying at something like nine future draft picks. And future is the key word there because that's where the uh, kind of interest lies with this team um, as far as championship contention. Now, this coming on court season, we'll see what happens. I mean, the starting lineup, like I said, their three of their five starters got shipped out. Um, the bench got kind of remade as well. In terms of career from last year, it's apart from the jersey, that's going to be almost a completely different team. Man, I cannot believe how much disrespect you just showed to one of Brennan's favorite players in the NBA, oh God. Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> this is not oh. even true. Oh, God. I mentioned that I would take him in a salary dump. I would consider it, and I got <laughs> shat on. And to be fair, you, you guys- totally talked me out of it. I did not realize the insane inefficiencies. Do you guys need like a backup point guard that desperately? Because that was kind of Dennis Schroeder came to Oklahoma City for that same reason, right? They didn't have a backup point guard behind Russell Westbrook, and they brought in Schroeder. And what you can say about him, as opposed to having no one, is that he's better than no one, uh, and that is pretty much where the positives stop when it comes to Mr. Schroeder. Right. Yeah. Thank goodness that that Stephen Adams Dennis Schroeder pick and roll will still be there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Let's talk about Stephen Adams for a minute because he is. You know, as you mentioned, probably the, you know, actually undeniably the best piece that carried over from season to season. Um, But he also has kind of been the victim of some hot take Twitter stuff about how maybe his contract is is an overpay and how he's not modern (laughs) enough and that maybe the Thunder should have traded traded him when they had a chance to compete for a, a championship. But um, you know, I, I'm not really one of the, I'm not going to fall I'm not in that camp myself, but what are you, what are your thoughts on Steven Adams? Look, if you think a th- if you think a center has to be a Brooke Lopez type who can shoot three pointers, um, then Steven Adams is not your guy. And if you think you need to be like a super skilled player, like an Anthony Davis, who says he's not a center, but is, or Carl Anthony Towns, then Steven Adams is not either. But what he does give you, he's the best offensive rebounder in the NBA uh, alongside Andre Drummond. He's one of the better rim protectors in the NBA. He is the hardest screen setter in the NBA. He's a guy superstars I mean need to have around them and he was kind of a great compliment for first Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and then Russell Westbrook and Paul George and that he loves to set screens. He'll roll hard to the rim and he won't stop rolling hard to the rim if he doesn't get past the ball, which is 
something you have to uh, be concerned about when Russell Westbrook is your point guard. Um, he plays tries like hell on defense. He hits the glass. He boxes guys out and doesn't care if he's the one who actually pulls the ball down. So he's an extremely valuable player. And I think where he is best is actually kind of as the probably the fourth piece on like the championship team. His fit this year is going to be interesting, right? Because the Thunder probably aren't going to be finding themselves in the deep rounds of the playoffs. I think he'll he'll have a nice chemistry with Chris Paul, who is a more willing, not a more willing passer, but just a, a little bit more of a pick and roll maestro than Westbrook was. I think that he'll have the highest you know counting stats he's ever had, points and rebounds, because there's. Russell Westbrook loves to grab the rebound himself and get going down the court, which there's nothing wrong with that. He's a great fast break player, but Stephen Adams should see his own numbers tick up a little bit. Um, his contract, he's probably 10, 15% overpaid, but you could do worse than that. He is a very valuable player. I think he's still a positive on that contract. Um, and right now he's the longest tenured member of the Thunder, despite being only 25 years old. So I think the future's still bright for him. He's got two years left on that current contract with OKC. Um, I'll be interested to see if he wants to come back, if they want to bring him back when that contract is up, but that's still far away for now. We're glad to have one familiar face in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I totally agree. I do think it's a little high money for him, but I I love everything that he brings, all the little things you mentioned, intangibles, rebounding, all that. Um, And before we get into the two big headliner trades, um, I I think Mm -hmm. one... That kind of got swept under a little bit was trading away the 21st pick or trading down to the 23rd with Memphis for a 2024 second. And obviously Brandon Clark showed out in summer league, uh, got the MVP, and he had some praise among some a lot of draft Twitter and analysts before, but he feels a little bit repetitive with a guy like Steven Adams. Um, what do you know about Darius, Darius Baisley and... What were your thoughts on passing on Brandon Clark? Yeah, I mean, you've got a point with the Brandon Clark thing and his fit with Steven Adams, who is still... Steven Adams has been around forever, right? Because like he he was on the same team with Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City, which feels like forever ago. But he's still only 25 years old. Clark would be kind of redundant with him. Uh, if the plan was we're going to draft Brandon Clark and ship Steven Adams out of town, sure, but the Thunder didn't see it that way. Uh, as for the guy they did pick, Darius Besley, nobody really has any idea what to expect with him because he... Uh, Instead of going to college for your interned with New Balance for a season, so the only you know film we have of this guy is when he was back in high school. Um, he fits the Thunder profile. He's long. He's super athletic. Um, his shooting ability is a question mark. That's exactly the guy Sam Presti always likes to draft. Terrence Ferguson worked out. Hamadou Diallo seemed okay last season, so maybe Basley will be another success story. Um, but if you know the Thunder were targeting him all along, they weren't going to bring in a guy like Clark because they already had Stephen Adams. Then at least they got a grant a far out second round pick for it, but they got something back for it. I thought Brandon Clark was great in summer league. If OKC had wanted to draft him and kind of tutor him under Steven Adams, I wouldn't have had a problem with that, but they could also just keep Steven Adams uh, for another, like he'd still be good for another five years, I think. So center's probably the the position of least priority when it comes to building the next great Thunder team, right? A, because they already have Steven Adams and B, because we've kind of seen the NBA evolving towards being able to pick up centers on the cheap, even on great teams. Yeah, Basley fits into that sort of um, athletic wing mold that the Thunder likes so much, that uh, Presti likes so much. Uh, Brendan <laughs> mentioned it before we started recording. And, you know, I think one of the problems with that mold in particular is I think the theory is that they're going to be 3 and D guys potentially with a lot of uh, cutting uh, uh, ability as well, a lot of defensive ability, but then the shot never necessarily shows up. Um you know, and, and we can get to the headliner trade in just a second, uh, as we mentioned, but I am kind of curious about those guys like the Hamadou Diallos and the uh, uh, now Terrence Ferguson's of the world who who came around a little bit with a three-point shot. But, um, you know, who, I just wonder, like, do you see anyone emerging from that group as as a quality piece, not just like a role player, not just like a, a 20 minutes a game guy, but someone who's going to emerge into like a starting a solid starter role for many of these guys so for like five straight years the answer was no and then the answer now is maybe because of terrence ferguson who shot 30 uh 36 37 in that range from three last year on like four attempts per game which is decent and flat he was pretty good defensively last year too so he's the first one of these guys all these guys get drafted it's like oh, that's the 3 and D wing that's going to fit between you know Westbrook and Durant or then between Westbrook and George. And then none of them could actually shoot a three-pointer. Um, obviously, the 
prototypical case is Andre Roberson, who was a second team all defense, first team all defense level of defender who shot like 28% from three or whatever and was just bogging down the offense as good as he was. So Ferguson, uh, I think this is kind of going to be a big year for him because this is year three now. He's used to the NBA. He was a starter all of last year and he played pretty well in that role. Um, but a lot of times towards the end of games, the Thunder closed with Dennis Schroeder as the shooting guard or Dennis Schroeder as the point Westbrook as the shooting guard, however you want to think of it. But with Ferguson on the bench, um, because he was so young and because he doesn't do anything besides shoot threes and occasionally dunk on offense. So especially on this team this year where maybe, you know, they're not thinking about the finals anymore. I think Ferguson is the guy who they want to see him do a little bit more with the ball in their hands. At least that's what I'd like to see. Have him try to run pick and roll or try to do anything on offense and then just stand in the corner and wait for Westbrook to pass him the ball. And I think with Chris Paul in the fold now and Shea Gilders Alexander in the fold now, there might be a little more side to side movement on the team this year and more opportunities for a guy like Terrence Ferguson. So it could be really good for him. But, you know, we'll see. The worst case scenario for him is last year's shooting was kind of a mirage. He goes back to being like a bad shooter like he was his rookie year and then He's not really that valuable of a player, kind of redundant with a guy like Andre Roberson. But if the three keeps falling, he's at very least, uh, I think, like kind of a Danny Green type if he keeps shooting you know, decently from three and defending well. And maybe he could be a little more than that. He can dunk better than Danny Green for sure. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great case, obviously. Um, you mentioned Roberson. What are your expectations from him this season? Um, there's obviously coming back from that injury – you would assume he's not going to be playing all 82, even being optimistic there. Uh, what do you think his role is on this team, and how much of him do you expect to even see? So he hasn't played – he won't have played basketball in like 17 months by the time the season starts. He got hurt in uh, January of 20 – I guess it was January of 2018, two seasons ago, against the 76ers, and then missed all of last season, ruptured patellar tendon. Um and we'll see, because even if he comes back and can play, but is only 85% as, you know, athletic, quick, defensively as he was, you know, that loses a lot of his value because he never had much value on offense behind, besides occasionally cutting in for um, backdoor cuts when defenses ignored him. All his value was on the defensive side of the ball, where he was a fantastic defender who you could sick on, like a LeBron James, a Kawhi Leonard, a guy like that. But if he's, you know, smarts was part of his game too. His brain was part of his game. He's obviously a smart defender, a smart help defender, a great guy to have. But if he just isn't as quick laterally as he was before, then most of his value is gone. Uh, if he comes back and he is the same guy as he was before, he might be the Thunder starting small forward. They don't really have a guy who's clearly a small forward size player on roster, right? Terrence Ferguson is probably more of a shooting guard size guy, partly because he's so skinny. So if Ferguson is fully healthy, ready to go, he could be their starting small forward if he comes back and he's not really the same guy, then it could be a year where he only plays half the games. And at that point, he's been rehabbing for two years. His contract's up. And I don't know. It's sad because Roberson is, was beloved in OKC. I, everyone knows that he can't shoot threes or three throws very well, but he was a fantastic defender, a team first guy. Um, he was very valuable during the Thunder's run to the Western Conference Finals the last year. Durant was here, you know, guarding guys like Clay Thompson. Um, and just a fantastic dude. The injury was terrible and it stinks that like if he, it, it could be career ending. Um, let's hope that he comes back and is hundred percent and the Thunder can make use of him and he can kind of start to rebuild his career like Sean Livingston did, um, after all his injuries, but there's no way to know. I mean, that was a catastrophic injury. He missed literally a season and a half. All right. So let's get to the main event here. Um, <laughs> uh, at least the part one of the main events, uh, the trade of Paul George to the Clippers, uh, unbelievable amount of stuff coming back in this trade. Uh, you guys received Danilo Gallinari, Shai Gilgis-Alexander, a 2021 first from Miami, a 2022 first from uh, the Clippers, the 2023 first projected 1 through 14 from Miami, right to swap 2023 and uh, 2025 with the Clippers first rounders there. Another 2024 unprotected Clippers pick and a 2026. Boy, that's a lot of picks. Um, but let's get it from the the personal side here, the emotional side here. What was it like to for you and for you know if you can speak on the behalf of uh, Thunder fans to see <laughs> Paul George go? I mean, what was that news like? It was devastating um, in the moment to hear that because like I was a. Uh, Everyone kind of this. I this was kind of my fault that this happened, guys. I remember right around the draft and free agency starting, I tweeted out something after um, 
another SB Nation writer was writing like a free agency preview for their team. I'm like, oh, everyone else gets to write these cool previews and recaps, and I'm going to get to write nothing because the Thunder aren't going to do anything in free agency. And obviously, I was horribly incorrect about that. Um, so nobody had any expectation of this. I mean, obviously, they lost in kind of devastating fashion to the Trailblazers in the first round, but Paul Jordan just resigned. The idea was they were going to kind of run it back, maybe try to pick up like a piece on the edge or something to help with the bench. And instead, at like 1.30 in the morning, uh, we get the drop that uh, Paul George has been traded to the Clippers and two minutes later that Kawhi has signed to the Clippers. And you knew as soon as that trade went through um, that Russell Westbrook was going to be on the way out too because, you know, he's toward, still in his prime, but towards the end of it, he's on a huge contract and he wants to win. And obviously the Thunder were willing to ship out Paul George. You know, their championship hopes kind of went out the window with that. So it was really, really sad in the moment. And obviously it was even sadder when Westbrook got traded a week later. But then when the you know report of the Hall got to come in, I mean, they got back so much for him that you're like, okay, if we had to lose a superstar, wow, did we get a lot back. So I think there is optimism now that it's all settled. But I mean, in the moment when you hear Paul George has been traded to the Clippers and you're knowing that the Westbrook trade is the other shoe that's going to drop soon, just devastating to hear. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you got two great players. I think Gallinari was a borderline all-star last year. But the main piece of that, aside from the ridiculous amount of picks, which are very important, obviously, is Shai Gilgis-Alexander. And I'm extremely high on this guy. I think he's going to be an all-star one day. Um, he's a 6'6 point guard, you know, 36% from deep. Really got into Doc Rivers' starting lineup as a rookie. You don't see that very often. Um, are you optimistic about his upside? And we're going to get to Chris Paul, but does that sort of stagger his growth a little bit? Yeah, so I'm thrilled to have gotten back Shea. I loved him. Um, I remember talking to Rob Flom from Clippers blog last year or uh, about Shea um, when I was talking to him for a podcast, and he was so high on the guys like, this. he's the building block of our future, and then now he's the building block of the Thunder's future, so that's great to hear. Um, he is a fantastic player. The shooting is good. It's it's small. He shoots 36, 37%, but he shoots on like 1.7 attempts per game. You'd like to see him take a few more of those, but he can just get where he wants to go at the ball. He doesn't make mistakes. For a young kid, 19, 20 years old, he was you know starting for a playoff team, starting against the Warriors. Um, he obviously has a great feel for the game, a lot of confidence for a young guy, and he's big. He's 6'6", he's, and he uses that size. He's a solid defender who can defend up one or even two positions. He's a great piece to have. I'm with you on the high upside. Um, I do think he could be an all-star a couple times also one day. I think if you're truly contending for championships, you probably want him to be your second or maybe third best player, not your best player. But having that guy in the door to start is awesome. We're thrilled to have him. Um, as for playing alongside Chris Paul, you know, last year on the Clippers, where Shea was most effective was kind of when he did share the court with other guards um, like Patrick Beverly, who isn't like a, Patrick Beverly, as far as point guards go, isn't ball dominant, but he could run the offense sometimes and Shea would run the offense sometimes. Obviously, Gallinari and when he was there, Tobias Harris was when Tobias Harris was there. Those are guys who can create their own shot. So he didn't have the impetus on him to do everything. So playing alongside Chris Paul, I think could be good for him. I think Chris Paul will get hurt at some point during the season because that's what Chris Paul does. And they could also have him run the offense when Chris Paul rests sometimes. So I think hopefully they'll strike a good balance where sometimes he gets to play alongside Chris Paul. Sometimes he runs it solo. But, you know, long term, his best position might be as like a combo guard who plays at the two who always plays alongside in their ball handling guard. So I don't think playing with Chris Paul will stunt his growth in the way that playing alongside, you know, perhaps Russell Westbrook might have stunted his growth a little bit because he's playing with the Chris Ball can shoot threes, is a good passer. Hopefully Shea learns something from him from playing alongside him. And then, you know, Chris Paul's not going to be there long term. This is going to be Shea's team uh, going forward. So, no, it's all upside with Shea. We're thrilled that we got back. Not just picks. Picks are exciting. But we got a real player who we get to watch. We get to watch grow. We get to cheer for Andrew, I'm with you, has that kind of all-star potential. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, so this 
this question might be a little bit out of line considering that you did get Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari back, uh, who are two, you know, as of as of right now, are two very good players, uh, but they are aging quite a bit. There are mm-hmm. serious injury issues with both guys. So, you know, I don't know how good they're going to be this year. And certainly, you know, a few years down the road, um, there's going to be some real issues. But it feels pretty clear and pretty obvious that the Thunder are, you know, building for the long term now, which means that they're probably not going to be great in the in the present. Um, and it's striking to me because, you know, Oklahoma City, you guys, you did have that one year, the very first year uh, coming from Seattle where the Thunder won 23 games. But since then, um, I mean, that's 45 wins every single year at, at a minimum. Uh, playoffs all but one year. This, I mean, this this fan base is probably a little bit a little bit spoiled with with good basketball, I would think. And I wonder, you know, what's that like? What's that going to be like to have, you know, maybe uh, I don't know, maybe a 30, 32 win team in Oklahoma City, or or is that not crossed your mind yet? Yeah, it has crossed my mind. I mean, I was I made like kind of a playoffs list before in preparation for this podcast, and I see nine ten ish teams who are definitely better than the thunder and that's if you know let's assume chris paul and gallinari didn't get hurt which is not a fair assumption but even if they played all 82 games and things broke right i think the thunder would still probably be ninth or tenth in the western conference just because of how good the west is um there are some you know true diehard true uh cult memberist thunder fans who do think we're going back to the playoffs this year but i would not put myself in that boat it's going to be weird uh every single year since that very first year in Oklahoma City, the expectation has been playoffs. And for most of those years, the expectation has been title, as it should be when you have Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, then Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka, then Russell Westbrook, and Paul George. Honestly, the one year that they didn't really expect to win the title would be the year Russ won MVP, and then the next year they got Paul George. And then suddenly we're coming into this looking at, yeah, somewhere in the mid-30s for wins as maybe 40 wins as the absolute highest upside for this team. Uh, it's going to be strange. Um, that's for sure. I guess what, you know, we've, what you can console yourself with is just, we have some young guys like Shea Gilders, Alexander to watch, Terrence Ferguson to watch, our new draft pick, Darius Baisley to watch. And the encore product should be good. This isn't going to be like the process era 76ers or like the New York Knicks last year where there's no talent. Chris Paul is a really good player. Steven Adams is a really good player. Danilo Gallinari is a really good player. Ferguson and Shea Gillis Alexander are pretty good for their age. Like if the, if the bench was as good as the starting five and you could count on the starting five to be healthy, you could probably talk yourself into this being a playoff team, at least in the Eastern Conference where they don't play. But, um, but granted, so it should be like still an entertaining encore product. It should still be relatively fun to watch. Um, they're going to lose a lot more games than we're used to, but we control our own draft pick next year. So we can play around with Tankathon and look at all these, uh, <laughs> up and coming great players to add to our team. But, no, Oklahoma City always makes the playoffs. Um, they always lose in the first round, but they always make the playoffs. And it's going to be very, very strange to be knowing from day one, wow, we're not going to be in it this year. But I think Thunder, Thunder fans, you know, Oklahoma City fans, basketball is the sport there, along with college football. We've got a lot of smart basketball fans who are patient enough to see the big picture and see what's building. I think there was a lot of frustration that, you know, we had Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and James Harden didn't win a title. And then that we had Russell Westbrook and Paul George and got knocked down the first round twice in a row. I think people are hungry for a title. And I think they're smart enough to see like the way you build a title is not by, is not overnight. You know, you have to accumulate these draft picks. You have to make some hits in the draft. You have to build your team slowly. We've got that first building block in Shea, but it's going to take more than that. So I think there's patience and there's buy-in to this kind of process Sam Presti is pursuing. But yeah, it's going to be weird when in April there's not basketball happening. Right. But like you mentioned, you are skipping steps. You know, you're not starting from the very bottom. You mentioned the process, uh, process Sixers, the Knicks from last year. This reminds me a little bit of a Celtic situation with all the draft picks you have going on. Do you think, and actually Jimmy going to Miami probably hurts those firsts a little bit because you would think that they're going to be, you know, at least like a seven, eight seed in the East rather than potentially being a lot worse than that. Uh, but does it feel like you're going to hear your name and the Thunder franchise mentioned in potential trade talks often now? Say like, you know, down the line, a Cat or Devin Booker were to potentially become available. You have a lot of assets to throw towards that. Yeah, I'll be interested. To, so Sam Presti's never really, the last time Sam Presti was uh, 
presiding over a rebuild was when his team was still the Seattle Supersonics, and he drafted Kevin Durant and Westbrook and Harden. And there was no real asset of there was no asset base beyond the Sonics and the Thunder's own picks to play around with. Um, so he has options. Does he try to like just build off of Shea and build off whoever the Thunder draft this year? And maybe the right the Miami pick's not going to be too good, like you said. That is kind of the concern: is that these picks look great on paper. Like the Miami pick isn't going to be too helpful this year. The Clippers and Rockets picks in 2021 and 22 aren't going to be great. The first time you got a pick that you're like is really, really good is 2024 or 2023 with the swap when like maybe Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have aged out or just moved on to a different team and the Clippers unprotected picks are pretty valuable. That's four years from now. And four years from now, Shea Gilgis Alexander will have gotten his big contract, his first big contract already. Um, do you want to be like a team that like just kind of hangs on the edge of the Western Conference playoffs for five years and then drafts a kid who's on a different timeline than Shea? Or do they kind of like lean into the tank now with their own picks and try to build up that way and use those future picks more as trade fodder like you were talking about? I don't know. Sam Presti often does things that I'm not expecting, that no one's expecting. That's how Paul George got to Oklahoma City in the first place. If it were totally up to me and I wrote a little of this, I think the Thunder should lean away from any chant any chase for the eight seed this year and just kind of lean into the tank maybe look to ship gallinari out at the trade deadline and try to make their own pick as good as possible this year and next year not count on that miami pick not count on that houston pick then either you have three great players and you can use those future picks to try to bring in another great player on top of them or if you whiff on those picks which happens right markel fultz happens anthony bennett happens then you still have those picks as a backup plan um, and I, so I think the decision about do you use those picks for a trade doesn't get made this year, next year. It gets made in a few years when you see how good exactly Shea is, how good whoever gets drafted in 2020 and 2021 is. You base on that is like, all right, are we one piece away now? Is, is Devin Booker the one, hypothetically, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, the one piece we need if we swing a trade now? Or are we in a situation where even if we put that guy in the door, we're a 45 win team who gets knocked down the first round, which is not where they want to be? Um, they have options. That's a great thing about having so many picks in the door. And we just got to see which one they end up pursuing. And that decision, like I said, doesn't get made today, tomorrow, next year. It's probably two or three years down the line. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we talked about this whole concept of you want to either be competing for a championship or rebuilding, essentially. Uh, we talked about this with uh, the Minnesota the episode that we had with Minnesota recently. And, uh, you know, we also talked about how it's probably undervalued to be uh, just in seventh or eighth seed, that it that there actually is value in that and that there is value to selling tickets to playoff games and to giving, um, you know, hope to the fans that, you know, just want to see their team do pretty well. But at the same time, when you are when you have this much, I guess, downward momentum or forward momentum, you could say, uh, with all these picks coming in from the future you know, that's when it feels like you just really want to get young, right? And you really want to get flexible with your money and you really want to get kind of liquid with your assets. Um, and I know you mentioned Gallinari there with the trade. That makes a ton of sense to me, especially with his contract expiring. But um, would Chris Paul be a guy that you would also consider moving on from? Or does it feel does it feel more like you want to just eat through those two years? Or would you consider, you know, this is a trade we threw out there as a hypothetical uh, framework for a trade i mean would you would you ever consider something like uh i know it's going to sound a little bit crazy but um adding like andrew wiggins uh from the the timberwolves who's at least you're getting younger and you are saving some money at least on the first couple of years a significant amount of money uh for chris paul there right so the thing with trading chris paul is that he has three years left on a contract that pays him an exorbitant amount of money for a player of his age and kind of spot in the league right he's no longer the top 10 player in the league he once was so in terms of trade him you're either attaching an asset to him just to dump the money or taking back another asset that's kind of toxic in its own way like andrew wiggins that's one that i've also seen thrown around i i'll say for oklahoma city oklahoma city could probably talk themselves in andrew wiggins more than most teams because when Andrew, everyone remembers when Andrew Wiggins was coming out of um, college and first overall pick, you know, the Maple Jordan thing, Michael Jordan from Canada. He does look like that player when he plays against the Thunder for whatever reason. He's killed us multiple times. He hit a 35-foot bank shot three-pointer to beat us uh, the year Carmel Anthony was here. He went off again last year. So maybe from that, maybe playing all his home games in Oklahoma City would be good for him. My kind of idea is... You don't do anything with Chris Paul this year. You don't make a panic move like, okay, this guy's 
13 years older than Shea and blocking him from coming up the ranks because they can coexist. You can wait it out. And then maybe at the end of this season, now that Chris Paul only has two years left on his contract, maybe a team like the Miami Heat talks themselves into, yeah. okay, we'll take Chris Paul, you know, just for matching salary that expires in one year instead of the Wiggins contract that expires in, I think, four years from now. Or if that deal's not there, then maybe you look at a Wiggins trade. I don't know. The Thunder are in such a good position. Um, their cap's going to get cleaner as the years go on. They've got all these picks coming in that they don't need to make any sort of a panic move. Like, And they have no reason to be like, we need to get rid of Chris Paul. It doesn't sound like he's going to be a problem in the locker or anything. But I think he expects to be out of there in a year or so because he probably still wants to get that ring that he's never gotten. The Wiggins trade or a trade for some other big salary could make sense. Or, like I said, like a team like the Miami Heat who has players like Kelly Olenek and Deion Waiters who just make like a little too much money. You combine three of those players for Chris Paul in exchange for taking on more years of the money, the Thunder get off the money. I wouldn't expect to see Chris Paul play more than one year in Oklahoma City either way. I don't love the Wiggins trade. I've never been thrilled with what I've seen from him against any team besides Oklahoma City. And I think he's a weird... He isn't the type of player Sam Presti usually goes for, right? He's kind of the opposite, where like Sam Presti loves guys who are long, defensive-minded, and will figure out the shooting later. Andrew Wiggins is a guy who needs to have the ball in his hands, who doesn't fit into like a lot of team side-to-side offenses and has never showed much interest in defense. I don't think that's quite the kind of culture Sam Presti is going to be trying to build in this rebuild, but I could be totally wrong because I never thought Sam Presti was going to end up with Paul George. So we'll see. That wouldn't be on the top of my list of ways to get Chris Paul out of town. I also think if Chris Paul's goal is to win a title and um, he's not going to be any more happy in in, uh, Minnesota than he is in Oklahoma City, but we'll see what happens. I wouldn't expect anything before next summer. Right. Interestingly, as we were kind of talking about it, I was looking through the teams and Miami was the one that stuck out to me as well. You know, I I paired it together. I had James Johnson, Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters. Um, You could throw, you know, Derek Jones Jr. in there. Feels like an Mm -hmm. OKC type of guy. Uh, But they're in that situation where they just gave Jimmy the four years who doesn't feel like it puts him over the top. And CP3 is about the same timeline and age there. It makes sense to me. I think that we can move on to the next paid, the next big trade here, though, and it's that Russell Westbrook one. Obviously, uh, Chris Paul was the one of the big pieces coming back, but also a twenty twenty four and twenty six Houston firsts and two swaps in twenty twenty one and twenty five. And my first question will actually be going to Houston. How do you think that the Westbrook and Harden fit's going to work there? So. For years, going back to kind of the Russell, the year Westbrook won MVP and Harden came in second in the voting, obviously the Houston fans were very, very upset about that as they are upset any year that Harden doesn't win MVP as they were upset again this year. I think Thunder fans have always kind of looked at Houston a tad bit jealously, like, wow, what would Russ look like with all that shooting around him? Because as we talked about, Sam Presti loves to instead draft and pick up those long athletic defensive guys and we'll figure out the shooting later and then they don't figure out the shooting and suddenly Russell Westbrook is playing alongside Andre Roberson, DeMontis Sabonis, Steven Adams, Ennis Cantor, guys like that who just can't really shoot um, and still manages to put up like huge gaudy numbers in the counting tolls but his efficiency is kind of dragged down by the fact that he's constantly going one on two, one on three with guys who just can't hit a three spaced around him. So when Russell Westbrook is the one handling the ball, I think it's going to look great in Houston. I think he'll be an upgrade on kind of Chris Paul uh, running units where James Harden rests, and maybe they can buy Harden a little more rest that way. I know Harden has kind of slowed down in the playoffs for three straight years now just because it seems like he gets fatigued from these long regular seasons. They can buy him more rest that way. I think they can count on Russ even in high-stakes playoffs moments. Like, all right, we can buy Harden six minutes of rest instead of three because Russ is probably going to keep things afloat you know, with all the shooting around him. The trick is you don't want Russell Westbrook handling the ball even a majority of the time when James Harden's off on the floor because James Harden is at this point in their careers a better player than he is. And when Harden's the one handling the ball, Russ isn't a floor spacer. Um, every year, every few years, he has like a season where his catch and shoot numbers are about league average and then the next season it drafts, but he's never a good off the bounce shooter. So the thing I've kind of thought about, and I've thought about this actually a fair amount because I'm going to, this is going to be the most watched Rockets basketball I've ever watched since I'm so interested in Russ as a player. I think they could get away with lineups where P.J. Tucker is the center in terms of defending fives, but they kind of use Russ as the center on offense, right? They have him screen for Harden and then roll to the rim because he's an athletic guy who can finish lobs as well as a lot of centers can, and a guy who loves to fight for offensive rebounds. They could make use of him that way. They can try to get him going a little bit as a cutter. 
And then, of course, some of the time it won't matter because there are plenty of Houston possessions where James Harden dribbles 48 times and then takes a step back three and nobody else moves. And so the spacing matters less than, you know, you might think. Um, so I think it's going to be a better fit than people are thinking. I still don't think it's going to be a perfect fit from day one. I think there'll be a period of growing pains, but I, I've got Houston penciled in alongside the Lakers and the Clippers as one of the three best teams in the West this year. I think they have as good a shot at the title this coming year as any year now that the Warriors are kind of out of the way for them. Um, so I'm excited to see it. I mean, Westbrook and Harden playing together in red instead of, you know, Oklahoma City blue is going to be a tough sight at first, but I think it could work pretty well. Um, and you know, we love Russ here. It's granted, if he could have gone anywhere, we would have picked, you know, any other team besides Houston, but I would still love to see the guy get a championship, get a ring. And so I'll be, I'll be rooting for him this year. And I think, I think this could work better than people think. Yeah, fair enough. And we've covered the Chris Paul side of that a little bit. So, um, I was mentioned on the other trade there um, when everything was being torn down. Uh, you guys traded Jeremy Grant as well to Denver. Got another first round pick for that. Uh, feels like that will convey this upcoming year. It's protected one through 10. Uh, first rounder feels like pretty solid value. And I mean, I, I mean, what are you going to do with all these picks? Seriously. Uh, it's as far my kind of theory on it is like you can never have too many bites at the apple. There's no way that I, I believe it stands. If you count the swaps, it stands at nine first round picks in addition to our own eight or nine. Not all of those picks are going to be on the next, you know, Thunder championship hypothetical championship team. Not all those guys will even ever suit up for the Thunder. Some of those picks will probably get traded for something. But at this point in the process, it helps to take a bunch of bites at the apple because yeah, that Nuggets pick is probably going to be in the twenties. But you can occasionally find like a really valuable player there, like Rudy Gobert went number 27, someone like that. And so maybe the Thunder's own pick is number six, and they just completely whiff on it. But this pick that they got from Denver turns out to be a guy who's at least of starting caliber, and that's how you just slowly start to build up the roster. Maybe the guy they pick like is a starting caliber player who then gets traded in addition to a couple other picks for like a star player, and that's how you get your bites at the apple. But all these picks in, I love it. I think you know, you're going to make mistakes. Nobody drafts 100%. Nobody even really drafts 50%. But if you have more chances than everybody else, you'll get luckier than everybody else uh, in the aggregate. So yeah, not all these picks are going to end up wearing thunder blue for the long term, but it's good to have these bites with the apple. And it is sad to see Jeremy Grant go. He was one of these guys who like Oklahoma City got him for from the 76ers for a heavily protected first round pick that now won't convey because we're going to be bad by the time it would convey. Um, and he developed into a pretty solid player in Oklahoma City. He's a great, de- great defender. He shot the ball well, I believe 36% last year, which was all we needed for a guy like that. And he's going to be a great fit alongside uh, Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap in the front court there in uh, in Denver. So I'm excited for him. I think three, all, all three of the guys who were in the starting lineup last year for the Thunder are going to be on teams that uh, have can talk themselves into title aspirations. So we'll have plenty of former Thunder players to watch in the playoffs, even if the Thunder themselves aren't there. There you go, yeah. And with these draft picks, I mean, you got to start scouting some middle schoolers and high school freshmen at this point. Like you have third picks, graders, yeah, yeah, picks as far out as they can get traded. A couple, a twenty twenty six from the Clippers. It's insanity, but it's going to keep the team exciting. They're going to be in a lot of different conversations all across the board, and I think we can move to some of the guys that you did actually bring back. Um, one of the big pieces was Nerlens Noel, who I know we liked as a potential backup big and getting him at that minimum contract after him again, I believe turned down a bigger extension. Is that right? This is the second time that he's going to have turned down more money to get less. Yeah. He, uh, it wasn't an extension, but like right when free agency opened before anything about George and Westbrook had broken, Nerlens Noel agreed to come back to the Thunder for a small raise over the minimum salary he made last year. Then like changed his mind for whatever reason, whether his agent told him there's a better offer out there or he just was unsure about coming back to Oklahoma City. So the Thunder were like, okay, um, waited out. And then three days later, he came back for the same minimum contract he was on last year. Um, and I, it's weird to me that no one out there was willing to give him like that kind of slightly above the minimum offer just to get him away because he was, he was a very solid backup center for us last year. You know, all the flaws that Nerlens Noel has were still on display, right? Um, he jumps too often trying to get blocks on defense, so he's not as solid as he should be. His hands aren't great um, on offense. He catches a lot of lobs that look flashy, but he also drops some kind of pocket passes in the pick and roll. 
Um, if he has the ball in his hands and he has to do anything beyond dunk, he can you know try to do more than his abilities allow him to. But for a backup center who plays 15 minutes per game, I think he's about as good as you can get. Um, and you need a guy like that in the regular season. When, when it came down to crunch time against the Trailblazers in the playoffs, we played a lot of Jeremy Grant at center as a small five when Adams was off the court, so Nerlens Noel didn't see the court very much in that series. But he helps get through that 82-game slog. He's a solid player, and for Oklahoma City to get him back on the minimum, I think, is great value. It's weird. They uh, After they signed him, they also signed Justin Patton, who um, was on first the Timberwolves and then the uh, 76ers and as a result of the two Jimmy Butler trades, and then now kind of like failed out and uh in philadelphia and has wound up on the thunder so we have three centers now Patton's young so i i guess maybe he will kind of cannibalize some of noel's minutes as the backup center because the thunder are going to want to see what they have but i didn't see much of anything from Patton when he played for the 76 and timberwolves i saw enough from nerland's noel to be like all right this guy's pretty solid and you're when he's out in the court you're not worried that like okay we're going to just get crushed on the boards or we're going to bleed points he's he's solid enough to kind of keep you afloat when your starters rest which is all you can ask for for a guy on the minimum i think yeah, I believe he was like a top ten pick or, or right thereabouts. Um yep. and then just did, six, I think. Did uh, nothing, just did absolutely nothing. Um It was hard because he, he was he played with Okafor and with Embiid and he just kinda wound up as like, you know, they had too many centers in Philadelphia, so he didn't get a great shake there. But turning down that like seventy million extension, the seventy million dollar extension the Mavericks offered him is one of the most baffling moves the players made in recent years. Oh, oh, Noel, I see. I thought, I thought you meant Patton there. Uh, who Patton also, I think, played for Philly very He briefly. did, yep. Yeah, last and, year. And he had a, a weird situation where uh, the Timberwolves drafted him, I believe top 10 or, or late 16, lottery. 16, and, I think. Okay, gotcha. And then they also, and then that was the season, the same offseason, they decided to extend Gorgie Jang into a, a really odd uh, overpay. <laughs> a and huge just overpay, yeah. Didn't give Patton any minutes. Uh, and then I and think I he mean, was part of the Jimmy trade. He, he was. was part of both Jimmy trades. The trade that sent Jimmy to the Timberwolves and the trade that sent Jimmy from the Timberwolves to the 76ers. So he has been kind of the odd man out in everywhere he's been. Um, so maybe maybe the Thunder have found a gem here, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and then the last two tiny pieces of uh, minutia there in the offseason that I could find were... Uh, the Muscala signing and then waving Patrick Patterson. Anything there you want to discuss before we move on to uh, looking forward to the, ne- in the next season? Yes, I do. Whoever is on the Thunder social media team deserves a raise because this person somehow put together a Mike Muscala highlights video when he was signed to the team, which is a thing that shouldn't really be possible because Mike Muscala doesn't really have any highlights, but they somehow put together like a three-minute hype video that looked pretty cool, and I was like, all right, we got Mike Muscala. And then I just step back and be like, this is Mike Muscala, who could barely stay on the court for a Lakers team that was desperate for kind of any shooting at the end of last year. But shout out to the Thunder social media person for making Mike Muscala look cool for three minutes. Um, as far as the actual on-court fit, he's going to do the same thing Patrick Patterson did, kind of be the like stretch four who plays with the bench unit. Patterson, like, we were all really excited when he signed with the team. It was right after it was the same summer as the Paul George trade, and then the Mello trade happened later, so he wound up on the bench. He never was quite the same guy that he had been in Toronto. He's had some injuries, and he just has never really figured it out. Oklahoma City, so that was a bummer, and he's moved on. Um, the Thunder kind of saved a fair amount of money to kind of dip right back under luxury tax, which they obviously don't want to pay now that they're not going to be a playoff team. And Muscala, we got him for the minimum. He can hit threes. Cool. That's about all you have to say about that uh, kind of signing. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform, They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, and we like to identify guys that are going to take a step forward and back. In this team, it feels very black and white. It feels like players fit under one of those categories, um, and there's not really a middle ground. Like, Is there guys that feel like, would unexpectedly go one way, like, you know, Shea, Ferguson, and Diallo all feel like they're going to improve while it feels like 
Steven Adams, or not Steven Adams, sorry, Chris Paul, Gallinari will take a step back? Does it feel like anything that um, the outside would expect you see going a different direction? Yeah, I mean, the, so you expect Shea to improve a lot. Um, Diallo, hopefully just with more minutes, he gets better. Ferguson is kind of the biggest concern point of the young guys because he was a bad three-point shooter his rookie season and then suddenly a good three-point shooter last season. And you're hoping that's evidence of growth, but sometimes that's just like, you know, a fluke or like a statistical um, outlier. Like guys just have random seasons where they shoot well. So that's my only concern with Ferguson is, you know, if he shoots it as well this coming season as he did last season, I think you can credibly mark him in as like a decent three-point shooter. If he drops back down, then suddenly last year starts to look like a fluke. Beyond that, yeah, Chris Paul probably is just going to continue to decline ever. So I think he has aged a lot better than most point guards of his size do, and he probably won't you know, fall off a cliff completely. But like he was not the same guy last year that he was two years ago, and he probably will be a little worse this year. Gallo played 66, 67 games last year, and it was, I believe, the most games he'd played in a season in his career. I would kind of expect that number to go back down. Um, Steven Adams is the one kind of swing guy who like he's 25, 26 and it kind of feels like his place in the NBA is very established, like what he can and can't do. But this is going to be the first season that he hasn't played alongside Russell Westbrook and the first season on a team that doesn't have, you know, title aspirations immediately. So he could have the freedom to do a little bit the type of things that he hasn't done in previous years, right? Maybe they try to have him facilitate a little bit from the elbows on offense. Maybe when he pulls down defensive rebounds instead of just boxing out for Russ, he gets the go-ahead to try to kind of make like outlet passes. Maybe he does stretch out and take his first in-game three-pointer this year. He's the guy who like kind of with the team in a different space and with a different point guard at the controls, I could see having a season where it's like, oh, interesting. I didn't know he could do that. Beyond that, yeah, it's the guys who you can project easily. They're going to grow just because they're getting older and guys who you can project, they're probably going to decline because they're getting older, but they're on the wrong side of the curve. So we want to get to a win total here, but before we do, before we look at the over-under, um, can you give us a projected starting lineup of who you think are going to be rolled out there uh, to start on opening night and then maybe the first couple of guys off the bench? Sure. So four of the five starters is pretty easy to pencil in. Chris Paul is going to be a starting point guard. Shea Gilgis-Alexander will start at the two. Um, Danilo Gallinari will start at the four. And Steven Adams will be man in the middle at the center there. Who starts at small forward, I think, is kind of the open question. If Andre Roberson, as we talked about at the start, is healthy enough, he might get it. Terrence Ferguson could get it. He was kind of the – when uh, Paul George rested last year, Terrence Ferguson was essentially the backup small forward in addition to being the starting, starting shooting guard because we just really don't have guys who are kind of the right size to guard that position. Um, I guess the one kind of like true like dark horse candidate for that spot could be um him Hamadou Diallo sorry in that spot as well but I would probably expect it to be Terrence Ferguson unless Roberson is healthy and looks great in camp and then beyond that starting five um Dennis Schroeder will be coming off the bench he's the one guy we haven't talked too much about his fit is weird this year because um he's a backup point guard but Shea Gillis Alexander is also a point guard and you'd like to give him some minutes kind of running the show by himself when Chris Paul rests but that's also the minutes that makes the most sense for Schroeder to play Schroeder is also kind of a weird fit alongside Chris Paul the fit between him and Westbrook was kind of weird last year you would expect that kind of same thing with Chris Paul so Dennis Schroeder is another guy where it's like how is he going to fit into this kind of new look team that's he was brought in as like you're going to be the sixth man on a team that is trying to win the title now he's the sixth man on a team that's trying to win maybe 40 games at best um, but with his contract, he's probably not getting traded because I don't see too many teams out there that would really be, you know, jumping at the bit to get a hold of him. So he kind of just has to play out the string. Maryland's Noel will be the backup center. And then who gets kind of the minutes at the backup wing spots is something to watch. We have a lot of like young wings who are still trying to kind of prove themselves. You know, we have Hamadou Dial. We have Darius Basley, who we took in the draft. We have Lugitz Dortz, who was projected to go in the second round, went undrafted, and we were able to pick him up. Um, we have Deontay Burton, who played in like 20 games last year, was mostly in the G League. He had a couple of fantastic games that had Thunder fans like, all right, this is the guy we're looking for. And then, you know, couldn't get on the court for two months after that because he was essentially a G League player. So that's kind of the most interesting rotation question is who's going to get those kind of bench wing minutes. I think everyone will get a chance. But if one guy by the end of the season has kind of clearly taken a hold of that role, then that's a guy who can kind of maybe be projected into the Thunder's long term future, not just this season. And what are your thoughts on Abdel Nader? Because when he was on the Celtics, this was my least favorite player. Every time he touched the ball, I instantly would get upset because I knew that he was throwing it up. It seemed like he did better than that in OKC, but is there a chance that he is one of those backup wings? Yeah, so he 
played for the Thunder last year, and he was like not quite the level of chucker that he kind of used to be. Um, he would move the ball. But, like his best games were the games where a shot was falling. Other games where a shot wasn't falling, he was kind of useless on offense and defensively, he's just kind of mad. The biggest thing with Abdel Nair is like you kind of, unless he's chucking up a shot and missing horribly, you kind of just don't notice that he's out there. He doesn't have a ton of impact on the game. I kind of left him out of that group too because he's, I think he's older than people realize. He's like 25, I think, already because he came into the league late. But yeah, I mean, there's, he'll get a chance. Billy Donovan plays everybody at least a few times during the regular season just to kind of see what he has, and especially with this team probably being on the outside looking in. I think guys will get more chances than they did in the last couple of years. So we'll see how Abdel Nader play. And I guess maybe he could be the guy, but I wouldn't uh, put money on it. Let's put it that way. So let's talk about the over-under. It is set right now, uh, <laughs> consens- a consensus in Vegas around 32.5 wins. You know, that feels pretty respectable. I mean, I, I know that it's not good, and it's like a huge, massive fall off the cliff for the Thunder specifically. But they are above teams like Phoenix that, you know, you can make an argument, hey, they've got a little bit more potential right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a guy like Devin Booker on the team that you could make an argument for being an all-star this year. You know, DeAndre Ayton's got, uh, you know, a year under his belt now. He could improve. But it's not like they are completely in the, like, the the bottom. The They're not cellar-dwelling right now, necessarily. But... 32 and a half, does that feel high or low to you? I think the 32 and a half is too low for the Thunder's talent, but about right for kind of what management is going to be trying to be doing. So if Sam Presti and Billy Donovan were like told to like, you need to win, you need to win more than 32 and a half games this year because, you know, there's a gun near head essentially. So they were always going to play the best guys. They weren't going to, they were going to try to make trades that improved the team instead of made them, you know, ship the guy out for another pick. Then this team could probably be in like the mid 30s range, maybe at the upper echelon, like, 40 exactly because Chris Paul is pretty good Steven Adams is pretty good Gallo is pretty good Ferguson and Shea are solid Schroeder can at least run the pick and roll off the bench they have solid guys but the thing is Gallo and Chris Paul are going to get hurt and there's a chance that the trade deadline one or one of those guys gets moved because the Thunder are like you know trying to um build for the long term not build for this year there's even a chance that if no trade gets made but if, you know the trade deadline comes around we're halfway through the year and the Thunder are like eight games out of the playoffs the you know, the eyes start to look at the draft and the message comes down from on high. Rest Chris Paul more, rest Dennis Schroeder more, give Shea more chances, give guys like Hamadou Diallo or Abdel Nader or whoever more chances. Um, A, because we want to see what we have, and B, let's try to get a few more losses in that column because we want our draft pick to be good. And I think that's where that over-under is coming from because that's if the Thunder are being rational about it, that's what they should do. They're, they don't really have a shot at the playoffs and the Western Conference is currently constructed unless they end up being a lot better than we think. I think they are above a team like – I have them solidly above Phoenix, um, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Timberwolves based on talent alone. But those teams are all trying to like improve from last year because they brought in guys who are supposed to help them improve. The Thunder are the opposite. They shipped out their best players and they're trying to build in for five years down the line. So I think 32.5 is – about right that's kind of what the thunder should target uh, themselves as well that's i believe the pelicans won 33 games last year and then through luck of the lottery ended up with the number one pick if you went about 30 30 to 33 games in that range you had a respectable team you won some games your young guys were probably part of a system that was decent and actually learned good things about nba basketball but you're still in the running for the number one pick which is you know the most important thing for oklahoma city this season frankly so yeah i think it obviously is a lot lower of a win total than we're used to seeing Oklahoma City and if the situation was different if the Thunder were trying for some reason to push for the playoffs with this team I think they would clear that 32 and a half but I think post trade deadline there's going to be a lot of resting starters there might be some guy gets shipped out of town there's going to be playing more of the new guys to try to drop down lower on those lottery odds so I would have them probably right around that 32 range for wins yeah understandable agree with everything that you said and our last question you mentioned five years down the line we want to ask you to project Three to five years. Um, and there's a lot of variability with this team, but where do you see them being in that time frame? Depends how they do on some of these picks. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of the situation. Right? If they nail, like if they do, let's say everything breaks right, they win 31 games this year, they jump up in the lottery like New Orleans did, and they end up with the number one pick. They pair that. The number one pick is Anthony Edwards or something like that, and that guy's phenomenal. He looks great with Shea. Three years from now, 
they could be on the spot. The uh, Thunder were in, you know, Westbrook's third year, Durant's fourth year, where they were already like a 50-win team and, you know, knocking on the door of the finals and making the finals when those guys were had just been extended and James Harden was up for his extension. If they miss on those picks, that's not the big, it's not the end of the world because then the Clippers picks and the Rockets picks start and the Houston or the Miami picks start coming in. So they have this chance to kind of, they have essentially two chances at building the team of the future. Either they do it with their own picks and then the future picks are for swaps or they miss on their own picks. They stink for three years, but then in the future they have their own bad picks and these bad, these picks from other teams that could be really good. But five years from now, I would hope the Thunder are in a position where they've got three guys who are kind of perhaps not the next Westbrook, Harden, and Durant because no team might ever get that lucky again, but are a credible three players who can be the three best players on a championship team. I'd like to see them in five years, you know, in that kind of range of like a young 51 team um, who can at least knock off some good teams in the playoffs. And then maybe a year after that, they're looking at the finals. But maybe that's just in Oklahoma City hoping to get back that kind of opportunity we had uh, with Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. But if any team is in a position to get a, a big three as good as that one, it, it's the Thunder with all these picks they have in. So five years from now, I expect them to certainly be a playoff team. Obviously saying they're going to be in the finals in five years is probably too rosy and counts on too many things going right. But they should be a playoff team in five years. Three years? Maybe not. Maybe three years from now is the last year they missed the playoffs. We'll have to see. Sounds very Celtics to me. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing with the Celtics. They had all those Nets picks coming in the door, but they also tanked. But they were also just really bad themselves for the first two years after the Garnett Pierce trade. I mean, the players they got from that ended up being Marcus Smart, who's solid, but not a guy you think of as like you know as a Kevin Durant or whatever. Um, but then with the aid of the Nets picks, they were able to get those young players in while also being like kind of that 40, 51 team. So that's the dream scenario, except our dream scenario is we don't bring in Kyrie Irving, tank the locker <laughs> room, and then suddenly not have the championship we thought we were guaranteed. So we'll have to see. You know, I've got one more follow-up, um, one last follow-up here. I'm yeah. interested in the question about you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned early on that you had like nine or ten teams in the West that you could say – uh, are ahead of the Thunder. And then you mentioned the Timberwolves as a team that you feel, uh, you know, maybe just not as good as the Thunder in terms of talent on the roster. And I and I wanted to ask about that, maybe to get a little bit of clarification, but um, it does seem to me that the Timberwolves are in a tier above the Thunder. If, you know, maybe a small tier, just one tier, could be a sub-tier, whatever you'd want to call it. But, you know, just the power of having that one player because I'm not sure anyone on the Thunder can really be compared to Carl Anthony Towns. And and maybe it's more of a depth thing that you're going with here, but you know, I think the Thunder are in the mix for for the conversation of having the worst best player on their team. Outside of the Hornets, who I think we all know that they are truly the the cellar dwellers in this league. Um, you know, I think they're in the mix with teams like the Knicks and uh perhaps the Grizzlies, depending on how quickly uh Jaron Jackson Jr. comes around versus Shy, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, I just wonder. It surprised me a little bit when you said that they might be better than the Timberwolves, and I wonder if we get some clarification on that. Sure. So yeah, they don't have a player as good as Carl Anthony Towns. They also don't have a player who costs you wins in the way I think um, Andrew Wiggins does as part of it. And then, but it is a depth piece, as you said, right? The Thunder do not have a single, I would say, top twenty-five player in the NBA, but I think they have three guys who are kind of in that like top 50 range of Chris Paul, Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari. You can do things with three like decent players, but no true superstar player. You probably can't make it to the playoffs with those with uh, that level of player, but you can be pretty solid with that team. Um, I think Terrence Ferguson and uh, Shea fit nicely along with those three guys, and Shea could obviously take a leap this year. Maybe Ferguson could too. And that's where I kind of see like on talent alone, I would have them better than the Timberwolves. And I, you know, I think they have a pretty solid team. I think the Thunder even with all the moves they've made, with Steven Adams locking it down the middle, with Paul, Alexander, and Ferguson as the one, two, three, they could still probably end up being maybe like the 10th best defense in the NBA and then probably a bottom half offense. But that still might get you a better record than the Timberwolves, who I just am not super high on beyond Carl Anthony Towns, who I extremely high on because he's a fantastic player, but his fantasticness has not really translated into a ton of wins over the years and nothing they did in the offseason short of their. Uh, Short of Jarrett Culver becoming fantastic makes me think 
that they are going to have brought in someone who is going to help translate how good Towns is into actually winning basketball games. Um, so that's why I have them a little bit below the Thunder as well as the Suns and the Grizzlies. But yeah, I have, and the Pelicans are the other team who I'm like, if Zion is, you know, what he's promised, they'll be fantastic. If he needs a couple of years to develop and it's just they're relying on the Lakers kids, the former Lakers kids at Drew Holiday, they might kind of be in that lower tier too. But everyone else, including your Sacramento Kings, I would have a, a little bit of, at least a little bit, if not a lot of it, above this Thunder team. Yeah, and I guess you know health is going to be a big factor in all this stuff. Sure. As well, because yeah. like you know, like you mentioned, um, you know, maybe not a, a you know not great depth in Minnesota, but if Covington is healthy, you know, I mean, I think that he could be as helpful as you know a, a Chris Paul at his age or a Gallinari, you know, but then they could not be healthy. So it's it's right. kind of give or take, and I also wanted to quickly apologize for continually mispronouncing everyone's name. So uh, it's Shay Gilgis Alexander. I, I apologize <laughs> for that. I, I just, when I read, I do that so often. I have a friend that texts me all the time. You pronounce these three names wrong this episode. I'm like, damn it, man. But uh, so apologies for that. I, Good to have friends to keep us honest, right? Yeah. You should try to pronounce Shay's entire name. Have you seen what it is? Wait. It, oh, you're talking about Shevante? Uh, yeah. Uh, Acacian Gilgis Alexander? <laughs> That's better than I would have done. There you go. No, that sounds pretty close, yeah. It can't be. It can't yeah. be. <laughs> but yeah, I think... You got anything else, Rich? That's all that I had for Ben. That's it, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. Hope I didn't offend too many Timberwolves fans with my take at the end there, but appreciate talking to you guys and uh, looking forward to this NBA season. Yeah, man, we appreciate you coming on, and I'll offend a couple Pelicans fans by saying I think, like you mentioned, that they're a little bit lower this year. They got a lot of work to do and pieces to fit, but that's going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening. You will hear from us again in the next couple days.